Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. This past Sunday night, we had worship and prayer, as we do once a month so often lately. And I felt like God gave me a word for me. And it's a word that he has given me many, many times lately. It's not a new word necessarily. It's, it comes in different ways at different times. But I'm, I started to feel like maybe this word wasn't just for me anymore. Maybe it was time to share it with you all and, and it could grow beyond me a little bit. Here's the verse that God gave me last weekend. He's been speaking to me all week through. First Thessalonians 5, 5 and 6, and I have it in the Passion Translation. For you are all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night nor to darkness. This is why we must not fall asleep as the rest do, but keep wide awake and clear-headed. As children of the light, we can stay in the light, right? It's where we belong. It's who we belong to. And yet sometimes we decide to duck behind other things. It's not always intentional. We, we duck behind other things. And they're so big that they block out the light temporarily. That They get between us and God. And we're sort of existing in the shadows for a little while. Instead of being in Jesus, we get stuck in their shadow. And so there are two main shadows that we get stuck behind. One's fairly obvious. We, we generally think of sin and selfishness as, as darkness, right? The evil in the world, that's the darkness. And so there's the shadow of the world. We duck behind it into a little bit of evil, a little bit of selfishness, a little bit of sin, but it comes between us and God. So we're no longer standing in the light or in a shadow. The second type of shadow is a little bit more difficult to identify. It's the shadow of the law religion, right? Of the pride and the rules and the regulations and having to follow everything so perfectly. And then once you feel like you do, you look down your nose at everybody else who isn't. The shadow of the law gets between us and God. It obstructs our view of who he is. It keeps us out of the light. You know, a great theology exists in the in-between those two extremes great uh, discipleship, great parenting, great obedience, great followership. Everything that we do as Christians exists in, in between the world and the law, in the light of Jesus. We are the children of the light and the children of the day, children of the gospel, which brings the life and the immortality to the light. That's who we are. We have to know who we are and whose we are to stay in that light. Now we're going to read the rest of this chapter today in 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians is a letter to the people of Thessalonica from Paul, who on his second missionary journey, he went to that city, preached to them, established a church there, and then moved on because he was an apostle, an evangelist. That's what he did. He went and started churches. And so he sent a messenger back to them just a little while after he left them. Go check in with that church. Make sure they're doing okay. There's a lot of false teachers out there and, and crazy stuff going on. Check in with them. 
And the messenger comes back and he says, they have a lot of questions. At least we assume so because of all the questions that Paul answers in this letter. And so he's speaking to believers. He's speaking to church people that still have questions. And their main question, it would seem from how he answers it, is when is Jesus coming back? It's a question we um, maybe around sort of differently ask. We get at all the time by saying, why is there evil in the world? And when is it all going to be better? Right? Jesus is coming back soon, right? That's what he said. When? And how long do I have to suffer through this world before he comes back? And so Paul addresses it in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1. He says, now, beloved brothers and sisters, concerning the question of God's precise times and specific seasons, you don't need me to write anything to you. For you already know quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly and as a complete surprise. For while some are saying, finally, we have peace and security, sudden destruction will arrive at their doorstep like labor pain seizing a pregnant woman and with no chance of escape. But you, beloved brothers and sisters, are not living in the dark, allowing that day to creep up on you like a thief coming to steal. For you are all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night nor to darkness. This is why we must not fall asleep as the rest do, but keep wide awake and clear-headed. For those who are asleep, sleep the night away, and drunkards get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, we must stay alert and clear-headed by placing the breastplate of faith and love over our hearts, and a helmet of the hope of salvation over our thoughts. For God has not destined us to experience wrath, but to possess salvation through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. He gave his life for us so that we may share in resurrection life in union with him, whether we're awake or asleep. Because of this, encourage the hearts of your fellow believers and support one another, just as you have already been doing. We're going to keep reading, but I'm going to stop there for just a minute. Awake and clear-headed is our charge here. And listen, staying awake as a believer can be tough. I know a little something about suffering lately. And let me tell you, sleep is a welcome friend, right? I feel a little bad on Mother's Day telling you all to stay awake, actually, because if anybody needs sleep, right, it's moms. But although, you know, sleep... Sleep can be difficult to find sometimes, and when it's not, it's, it's like a, a heaven has come down and given us a sloppy wet kiss, and, and my dad used to always say, uh, sleep is good food, right? Good food. And our bodies need sleep. Our bodies must rest, actually. Taking care of yourself is extremely important, but that's not what this passage is talking about. It's not talking about physical rest. It's talking about spiritual alertness. There's a big difference. You know, we all understand the concept well enough that we probably shouldn't feed our bodies white sugar, right? Drinking high fructose corn syrup and white sugar is a bad thing generally. Probably should stay away from it altogether. In fact, the health nuts, they stay away from it altogether. And the rest of us kind of ignore them usually, or, or just a healthy medium. Stay somewhere in between, you know? A cookie or two here and there, not going to hurt me. A soda once a week, not a terribly bad thing, right? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you should stay away from white sugar altogether, although <sighs> the studies actually say that sugar is the most addictive 
substance on the planet. I mean, there's some debate about this, but a lot of scientists agree. It, it, there's tests in mice and things like that that say it's, it's more addictive than, you know, heroin, cocaine, nicotine. It, it's the most addictive substance on the planet. It's essentially poison, too, by the way. It actually literally shuts down your immune system for a certain amount of time after you eat it. I mean, think about that. You're, you're feeding yourself poison, but it tastes so good. So just a little here and there is okay, right? Not a lot, just a little. And sure, the, again, don't get me wrong. I believe God built in festivals and celebrations and good things in our life so that we could enjoy life. The, um, what is it? Uh, Proverbs? No, there's a, Ecclesiastes. Maybe there's a... a part of the Bible that says, don't waste your time being too good or too wise. Why destroy yourself? We're meant to have fun in this life as well and, and meant to enjoy life and life abundantly. And while it's okay to sometimes have sugar for your physical bodies, we often treat our spiritual selves the same. A little bit of poison here and there won't hurt. A little lust here and there can't hurt me, right? A little gossip. A week of skipping my tithe doesn't mean I don't trust God. Just not today. <laughs> a little bit here and there. I, I only hate that one person. I swear it's for a good reason. A little bit of hate never hurt anybody. I, I can't forgive it. I can forgive everything, but not that little bit of unforgiveness, right? I'm a good person. I just can't forgive that one thing. Or I'm only stubborn about this one thing. Usually I'm very open-minded to God, but this one thing he can't have, right? I'd rather watch TV than hear from God today. Ouch. <laughs> that one hurt me a little bit. Um, Skipping church just this once doesn't mean that I don't value the work my pastor has put in to hear from God for me in my life. Mm. House got really quiet. You guys okay out there? Am I beating you up too much? Actually, verse 12 and 13, the very next verses in this passage goes on to say, Dear brothers and sisters, make sure that you show your deep appreciation for those who cherish you and diligently work as ministers among you. For they are your leaders who care for you, teach you, and stand before the Lord on your behalf. They value you with great love because of their service to you. Let peace reign among yourselves. Do you know... People ask me a lot, you know, what can I do for you? What, what, what can I do to support you as my pastor? Because I know you're going through a tough time. For those of you who don't know, my husband's having severe health issues. And, and they ask me that a lot. Do you know the number one thing? Like gift cards and, and cards and compliments are very nice. But the, the number one thing that you can do to support your pastors who work diligently for you is show up. That's it. Just come every week, not once every six weeks or once a month, but every week because we put time into this word. I spend hours asking God, what are you saying to me and what are you saying to Freedom Valley? 
what can I share for you this weekend, God? Speak through me. Use me. And, and I actually pray that, and I believe he does speak through me, by the way. There are things that I say from the stage that I've never written in my notes before because he is speaking to someone in this room, individually and as a group. It's amazing that he does that. I just want you to hear it, right? It might have nothing to do with you necessarily, but I want you to hear it because it's the word of the Lord for us as a church. Show up. Just be here. Understanding that your, your pastor has worked hard to have a word just for you. The, the problem with all of these things is that we put ourselves to sleep little by little. A little bit of skipping church here. I never heard a little bit of hate in my heart doesn't hurt. A little bit of unforgiveness, a little bit of lust, a little bit of greed. I'm generally a good person. We, we explain it away. We excuse it away. But we're putting ourselves to sleep little by little, a little bit of poison, a little bit of ducking into the shadows. Just like sugar inhibits our body's ability to be healthy, sin, selfishness, inhibits our soul's ability to stay spiritually awake too. It's never been more important that we stay spiritually awake. You know, I, I have been lately practicing radical honesty with myself. Don't go practicing it with other people, <laughs> at least not at first. Practice it with yourself first, because it's amazing how many excuses I'm willing to give myself. Not other people, never other people myself. When I have behavior in my life that I don't particularly like, and I snap at my kids in the morning, or whatever, I, I excuse it away. Well, I didn't have coffee yet. They have to understand. <laughs> I treat somebody with disrespect. I um, allow myself a little bit of gossip. I react in anger in a situation that I don't like. I, I explain it away. It's, it's the first thing that comes to my brain. All the excuses why I behaved in that way. And yet radical honesty doesn't let me do that. Staying spiritually awake doesn't let me do that. I can't get away with the first excuse that comes to my brain. I sort of have to, nope, that's an excuse. Swipe that away, what's underneath of that? <laughs> and then I come up with another excuse. It's amazing. I have something else right there ready. Well, it's because I didn't get enough sleep or I've had a really tough month or I've been super busy. I'm super stressed. You have to understand Radical honesty doesn't understand. Doesn't let you get away with it. What's under that? <laughs> Inevitably, it's pride or it's something much bigger than whatever the excuse is. And I have to deal with that thing to fix the rest. Radical honesty keeps me awake. And some of us will never move forward spiritually before we've broken secrecy with ourselves with ourselves, at least with God. Not saying you have to go break, breaking secrecy and every, this is actually a teaching altogether. I'd love to do this someday with you all, but breaking secrecy is so important for so many areas of life. Now I've seen it work so many times in my life. I can look back at places where I was keeping something secret. I was explaining it away 
I was hiding it from other people someplace in my life. And the minute that I broke that secrecy, at one time I was across the world. I was on a mission trip so far away. And I had never admitted out loud a situation that was going on in my life. Somebody spoke about it. I got up the courage and I went and I asked her for prayer. She prayed over me. And when I came back from that trip, things were different and they've never been the same again. And that's the only thing that changed. I don't know why it works other than God. <laughs> it just does. When we allow ourselves to break secret, secrecy gives this power to the thing that you're hiding. When you're able to admit it out loud, it breaks the power. Broken that, that generational curse, that curse that's hanging over your life that you don't want anyone to see anymore. And generally, the, the reasons that we hide things are just dumb. Can I just be real with you? They're just crap. They're, they're pride, they're arrogance, they're trying to make yourself seem better than you are. It, it's all crap. It's not worth it. Generally, the people that I look up to the most are the most honest, even if they're not the most perfect, right? The people that can admit their flaws openly and just be real about them. That's what I look up to. It doesn't matter what the thing is necessarily. Some of us need to break that secrecy, at least with ourselves and at least with God, before we're ever going to move forward spiritually. It takes courage. To be real with yourself, by the way. It's a dangerous concept, but it's so, so powerful in your life. We're called to be warriors, not sleepers. We're called to put our armor on, not our pajamas. Not to slowly put ourselves to sleep, explaining away all of the issues, but to stay spiritually awake so that we can deal with them. We can give them to God and he can deal with them. When Jesus comes back, I want to be found training, working, not sleeping on the job. To do that, we have to remain awake and clear-headed. Because we win battles in the spiritual. We just preached a whole series on this, right? The battle series was about submitting yourself to God and worshiping him, and he fights our battles for us. We win our battles in the spiritual we have to see things through the spiritual to be able to win them that way. Not through the emotional, not through the physical. We have to see them in the spiritual. Do you know fasting helps you with this? When you fast food for a day, you very quickly learn just how much food affects your emotions. <laughs> just how much food affects everything that you do. And if you study fasting, even for a minute in the Bible, it says, don't tell anybody that you're fasting. Why? Because that means you have to control yourself. You go around, and they did this in Jesus' day. That's why he said this. That they tore their clothes, and they put ashes on their face, and they made themselves look really pitiful so everyone would know that they're fasting and not come close to them and also admire them for it. Right? Jesus said, don't do that. Don't tell anybody. Fast for you, not for the praises of the world, because that's all the reward you're ever going to get if you keep doing that. Fast for you. Don't tell anybody about it. That way you, you're forced to treat people well, even though you're fasting. It prepares you, by the way, for when things are emotionally and physically bad. You can still fight those battles in the spiritual. That's, it's practice. 
Fasting is practice for the bad times. You wonder why you get knocked down every single little storm that comes by? It's because you haven't practiced in the good times, been faithful in the good times. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself. That brings me to verse 14. We appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, to instruct those who are not in their place of battle. Instruct those who are not in their place of battle. Isn't that what we're doing here? Be skilled at gently encouraging those who feel themselves inadequate. Be faithful to stand your ground. Help the weak to stand again. Be quick to demonstrate patience with everyone. Resist revenge. Make sure that no one pays back evil in the place of evil, but always pursue doing what is beautiful to one another and to all the unbelievers as well. There are three little hints in these couple of verses to help us stay awake. Be skilled, be faithful, be quick. We're going to go over them one by one because be skilled with encouragement is actually a little more complicated than it sounds. There is 100% a skill to encouragement, right? You might get superficial compliments occasionally. They're easy to forget, but you remember when you've gotten a good piece of encouragement a good compliment that meant something to you. Compliments aren't necessarily encouragement. In fact, I can say, you know, I liked your shoes. I like, like your haircut. That's not necessarily encouragement to life. Uh, people tell me a lot, you know, nice sermon, great sermon, awesome. That, thank you, that means a lot to me. But the ones that mean more are when they actually tell me something that changed their life that they're going to remember for a long time. Last night, Becky was sitting right up here, and she's the Becky Struvig is the best at this. She's, she was sitting there on the front row taking notes, too, just getting ready for the next piece of encouragement. And every week at home group, she will tell me at least three or four things that meant something to her, that are going to change her, that she's been thinking about all week and trying to apply in her life. That's encouragement to me. Right? That's what I'm trying to do here is prepare something that's going to help us, change us from the inside out. That's straight from God to your soul. You know, I have people who come around just in the beginning. You know, they've been here a month or two and they say, do you like have cameras in my house or something? Because you're speaking directly to me every week. There's got to be something going on here. It's not cameras, I promise. It's just the Holy Spirit. He wants to deliver a message through me. I'm just the vessel, right? And I want to know that that message gets through. That's encouragement. The, the best pieces of encouragement I've gotten lately. Now, words is my love language, so some of you don't value words. We don't all value the same things quite the same. But the best pieces of encouragement I've gotten lately have come in the face of challenges I did not think I could overcome and from unexpected places. Right? You don't have to be close to someone to give a good piece of encouragement. You just have to say something real. One, one of the pieces that still is meaning a lot to me was from an acquaintance, somebody I barely know, doesn't know the intricacies of my life. We might go way back in terms of like knowing each other's names, but that's about it. Right? And the thing she said to me was very short, too. It wasn't a long, drawn-out word of encouragement, like, pull me aside and give me a prophecy. We're just kind of catching up superficially about life. And she 
took a deep breath and she said to me, you're very brave, Candace. It means a lot to me because you don't know how not brave I am behind the scenes. And for my life to look brave superficially means a lot to me. The other piece, just to give you the flip side, came from my husband who knows me the best of anyone on planet Earth, right? Said something similar. He actually called me strong, I think. But he knows how not strong I am behind the scenes. And so for him to call me that means a lot. It doesn't have, you don't have to be close to someone to give them a good compliment. You don't have to be far away either. Just say the, the real thing. The good thing. You know, we think, we think good things about each other all the time. But again, what holds us back from saying them are always dumb things, like pride and insecurity in ourselves. Say them anyway. We have to be skilled at giving pieces of encouragement. Mark Twain said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. Right? Sometimes I feel like I could live two years on a good compliment. In battle, we've all seen the war movies, right? In battle, actual battle, a good rousing speech can turn the tide of a war, right? Or of a battle. They're, they're losing, they're way outnumbered, and a good commander comes in and delivers a speech and turns everything around just by his words, doesn't he? It's also in every sports movie, <laughs> right? It's halfway through the game, and they're in the locker room, and they're dejected, and they're just never going to win. It's overwhelming odds, but a good coach comes in, gives a good speech, and they go out and they win the game. And we all need that good coach, good commander in our lives. Give us that good speech. Get us back on the right path. It's why we have to get skilled at encouraging each other because you never know when you could be that for someone. You never know what's going to mean the most to someone. Just give a good piece of encouragement. And there's plenty of books out there. You can learn how to do this in so many different ways, you know, how to win friends and influence people and all those books. But the best way to get better at encouragement is just tune into the Holy Spirit who he is. He is the encourager. And when we tune into what he's doing, we naturally become encouragers too. He loves to encourage us. Ask him to give you the gift and he will help you do it too. You, you know, I love that the Bible says be skilled at this because it, I don't think you can fall asleep if you're actively honing your skills. Right? If you're training if you're learning, if you're working on this a little bit, you can't, you can't fall asleep and do that at the same time. Teaching yourself, allowing yourself to be taught is a great way to stay awake. The flip side of that is thinking that you know everything is a really good way to fall asleep. Oh, I've got this covered. I don't need to listen to this. That's not for me today, right? The thing is, there's something unique about the Christian experience that asks us to constantly and self-sacrificially challenge ourselves. You can't stay where you are in Christianity. doesn't matter where you are. Three seconds into faith, 30 years into it, you can't stay there. That's not what our leader did. He constantly and self-sacrificially challenged himself to bigger and better Every step he took in his three years of ministry was toward that cross. 
challenged himself over and over and over in the name of love. How do we think we get to master it someday? We get to sit back and think, I don't need church today. I don't, I don't need to challenge myself. I don't need to read the word today. It, it, we fall asleep. That's what happens when we stop learning. We fall asleep. And your skill building, the way that you learn, it's not about you, by the way. I hear people say, you know, I feel called to this or I feel called to this sometimes. And, and sometimes it just doesn't sit well with me. And I sit back and think, are they though? Because that calling sounds very self-serving. I'm not sure God gives callings out like that. Every good, true calling that I've heard of is extremely scary and extremely challenging, and it's not about that person at all. It's about others. It's giving in to others. Your skill building, bettering yourself, isn't about you. It's about the people that you're using that skill on. God will always call you to serve people and to serve them well. So we need to be skill builders. Get skilled at encouraging each other. The second thing, second hint at staying awake is to be faithful at standing your ground. Standing your ground is incredibly important as a believer because there are so many out there that want to dissuade you, right? It doesn't really matter what opinion you have in life. There will always be that person that wants to argue with you about it, right? why most of us don't post real things on social media because the first comment is always going to be negative just and then 20 after that they they want we want to argue with each other about our opinions i do it too i don't know what it is within us but when my husband says it's cold in here i have to say you're cold it's not cold in here why why do i have to argue about that opinion but that's how we are right i think it's i think it's a little bit uniquely american we want individualism, and we want to have our own opinion, and we're entitled to that opinion. And it's not always a bad thing, but, but being faithful to stand your ground in your faith is incredibly important for that reason. And we have to help the weak to stand again. When you found your strength to stand, pull somebody up. Isn't that the beauty of Christianity, too? That we're all being pulled up by someone else and pulling someone up, too. It doesn't matter how far along you get in your faith, three seconds or 30 years, you can be pulling someone else up too. In fact, the people that have been saved like three seconds are kind of the best at this. <laughs> they get it more recently than the rest of us because they've just experienced radical love for the first time. They want the whole world to know about it and they have rows of seats filled with people the very next weekend. But after a little while, we forget that experience, that feeling, we, we start to fall asleep to it. We take it for granted just how much Jesus has set us free. Most of us also think that we're incapable of helping someone else to stand until we've fully mastered the ability ourselves. Like, let me just get my feet under me. Let me just, I, I can't teach kids in the back. I don't know enough about the Bible yet. Neither do I. I'm never going to know enough about the Bible. There's so many things that I'm going to miss in every single sermon that I preach. It doesn't stop me from getting up and challenging myself to do it because it's important. Because I learn by leaps and bounds when I preach something, I only learn a little bit when I just read something for myself. 
It's actually amazing how this works. I, I believe that God gave me Bold and Brave, my Wednesday night women's ministry, to train me, to teach me by leaps and bounds, to keep me growing because every single Wednesday comes and every single Wednesday I have to teach something and, and I don't have a curriculum. I allow God to speak through me and I basically just teach whatever I'm learning at the time. But I have to develop that thought to the point that I can teach it. So I have to put a little bit of work in. And I learn like crazy through that. And then they ask questions and I have to answer them. Or then, you know, they, they give their take on it. And I learn like crazy. That's what this is all about. Helping someone else to stand is incredibly important to your faith as well as to theirs. You have to be awake to do it. You have to be awake to be standing. I know people in this congregation that are their best selves when they're leading a group, when they're discipling others. And when that sort of fades, when, when we're on a break from that or whatever, they get complacent again. They get tired again. They, they fall asleep. But the second there's somebody else around to pull up, they come alive. That's what it's all about. That's why Jesus commands us to give in to other people, to keep ourselves awake too. But sometimes we also need other people to help us stand, don't we? To be faithful for us, to help us stand when we can't feel our legs anymore. We've been standing for so long through a long, hard battle. We just need someone else to come along beside us and hold us up for a little while, right? Or to keep our eyes open when, when they're getting heavy, spiritually, when our spiritual eyes are getting heavy and we just want to go to sleep for a little bit and not challenge ourselves and not think about it anymore and not have to believe through something so long and, and difficult. We need people around us. Be faithful. Keep yourself standing and help others to stand too. It keeps you awake spiritually. And the third thing is be quick. Now, this one is, is interesting, and I love how the Bible words things that just challenge me. Be quick to demonstrate patience. I, I mean, I usually think of patience as a slow thing, <laughs> right? You, you sit back, you wait, you, you quick to, uh, or slow to, to anger, right? Don't say anything for a while. Just take it slowly, be patient. And yet here's the Bible saying to be quick to demonstrate patience with everyone, now, patience is something every single one of us struggle with. I mean, you cannot ask a question like, how do you want to better yourself? How do you, how do you want to improve in your walk with God in a home group and, and not have all of the answers be, well, I need more patience, right? More patience in the car, more patience with electronics, more patience with my kids, whatever it is. We all need more patience. And yet here's the Bible telling us to demonstrate patience quickly. What does that even mean to demonstrate patience? How do you show other people, that's what demonstrate means, right, that you are a patient person? What does that look like? I, I believe that this one is really, what it boils down to is humility. Right? When we're busy, when we're prideful, when we're arrogant, when we think our time is too valuable to give to other people, we don't show patience in our lives. 
And yet this is telling us to rush to opportunities where we can show, like a hurry up and wait situation. Rush over there and demonstrate that you're patient. <laughs> the, the busy, the prideful, the arrogant, they don't do that, do they? And it turns us off from Christianity. We want nothing to do with it. When the people that are supposed to be demonstrating patience with us want nothing to do with it. We do it all the time to other people. This is why the Good Samaritan story exists. Jesus said there was a guy broken, bloody, and dying on the street. And a priest comes by. The guy you would think would be there to help him. And does he? Keeps on going. He's busy. Too busy to help another human being dying on the side of the street. A Levite comes by. A very good religious person. Meant to be the salt and light of the earth, to help people. Does he help? No. He keeps walking. And then a Samaritan comes by, somebody that everybody else looked down on, didn't have great morals, didn't have great theology, didn't keep himself clean like he should technically to all the religious scholars. He's the one that helped the man, broken and bloody, on the side of the street. And Jesus' point is we are all to be the good Samaritan, to make time for people to be quick to demonstrate patience if that's not what it's about what is it about what could be more important than that it's ultimately about being humble enough the spiritually awake give their time generously to people and think about jesus the guy we're supposed to be following god of the universe happy in heaven perfect came down for 33 years to spend on this dirty, rotten, stinking planet with sinful, prideful, terrible people. He didn't, didn't just die on a cross, by the way. He lived with us, loved us for years. He laughed and he cried with us, with impetuous Peter, with doubting Thomas, with thieving, betraying, lying Judas. Kept him around knowing what he was capable of, knowing what he was going to do. And he loved him anyway. With the self-righteous and the sick and the lame and the ones full of questions and the children, he spent time with humanity because he genuinely loved us. I think that's why he, his first miracle was creating wine. <laughs> it was just about love. He just wanted to, to make everyone have a good time, to help that happen. It's about love. I mean, the scholars debate about that miracle. Because how could Jesus make more wine when everybody was already drunk? How does that happen? He just loved us. That's how much he loved us. And, and love won that battle, by the way. The, the whole Jesus battle, it wasn't just about what he did on the cross. Although... That's most of it. But it's not just sacrifice. In fact, sacrifice without love means very little. It feels like manipulation, doesn't it? And somebody wants to throw in their face how much they've done for you. It's not, if it's not in the spirit of love, it's manipulation, or it feels that way anyway. Jesus didn't do it like that. He loved us first for years, healing people, sitting with them, talking to them. He looked people in the eyes. If you've never noticed this before, read through the Gospels again. 
It's amazing how many times somebody asks you a question and he doesn't answer it, but he, he sort of in a roundabout way answers the question that they were really asking because he looked in their eyes. He spent time understanding them. And he might not have asked the literal question, answered the literal question they were asking. He answered the question they were really asking, that they were masking with their pride or whatever it was. He looked in their eyes. He genuinely loved people. There's a story about him raising someone from the dead, but he cried with that family first. Why? When he was just going to go raise them from the dead. When he knew that they weren't really dead, but they were sleeping. Those are his words. But he took time to cry with them first because he loved that family genuinely. It was all about love. Love won that battle. Love, genuine love, self-sacrificing love will keep you spiritually awake. Don't ever get to the place where you don't have time for people. Be quick to demonstrate patience. Stay awake to the needs, the hurts, the fears, the doubts of people. Help them to stand. It keeps you spiritually awake as well. Verse 16 says, let joy be your continual feast. Have you ever thought about joy as food before? Or do we usually think of joy as the goal, as the reward to our work? Let joy be your continual feast. Make your life a prayer. And in the midst of everything, always be giving thanks, for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. Verse 24, the one who calls you by name is trustworthy and will thoroughly complete his work in you. And because it's Mother's Day, I had all kinds of ideas in mind for this sermon. I was going to tell you all about Proverbs 31 and how that woman is hardworking and business-minded and family-oriented. Or, you know, I thought about preaching about the prophetesses of the Old Testament, about Miriam and Huldah and, and Deborah. Or Anna, the prophetess that prophesied over baby Jesus. Or Mary, the homemaker, the woman called to be a mother to a world changer. I, I even thought about Phoebe, the woman that Paul entrusted to be a church elder and to go and fix problems in a patriarchal church culture. How difficult that must have been. I thought about the women who discovered Jesus' empty tomb and got to tell the world about it. Or the ones who funded Jesus' ministry. The ones he called disciples. I thought about the woman at the well who, who brought a whole town to Christ, even though she was so unworthy to do so. Or Ruth, the good friend, or Esther, the beauty queen. There's so many women throughout the Bible that are, are useful to teach and correct and guide us that we can learn something from, even if you're not a woman, by the way. But today, God's word for you is this, especially to you moms, but to all of us. There is rest for you in Jesus, spiritually, but do not fall asleep. You do not have to be the end-all, say-all savior of your family. That's Jesus' job. He does it really well. Let him. It's not by your might and power, but by his. 
Rest in that knowledge and in his power. It's not about you doing everything and being everything to keep your family together. Just stay awake spiritually. Stay clear-headed. God can be in everything that you do. I hear so often moms saying, I'm just so busy. How do I make time for God? He's in everything. He's in everything that I do. As a mother, as a leader, as a pastor, as a wife, in every role that I play in my life, God is in it, teaching me lessons in it. We make jokes about certain scenarios in our lives that are going to be sermon illustrations later. (laughs) Because every situation that I go through can be applied. Because God's word can apply to it too. God is in it all if I'm just awake through it. My spiritual eyes are open as well as my physical and emotional eyes. If I'm staying faithful, if I'm skilled, working on my skills, and if I'm quick to demonstrate patience, just be who God called you to be. Some of us are mothers. Some are evangelists. Some are prophets. Some are businessmen and women. Some are homemakers. Some are church elders. And some are all of them. Just be you, the you that God called you to be, and stay awake. For all of us, the message today is stay awake. You can fall asleep at any age, any stage of your spiritual growth. Whether you've been a Christian for three seconds or 30 years, you can fall asleep. Don't. Choose not to. Keep your spiritual eyes open. Be kind to people. Be skilled in being kind to people. Look for new and different ways to be kind to people. Help them up. Be quick to demonstrate patience. We are all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to darkness, and we have to stop hiding in those shadows the shadows of the world and the shadows of the law and just stand in the light. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Thank you that it's useful to teach us and correct us and guide us, that it's not there to beat us up, beat us down. You just want to help, that you want to be in everything we do. You want to speak to us individually and personally. Father, I pray that you would speak today. That our hearts and minds would be open to hearing from you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. this word to my life, this service, I, I, I think I came away with encouraging intentionally. Uh, I love giving compliments, but, but encouragement just for me now is going to go so much beyond that. I'm going to try to look for, for character traits and, and values I see in the individuals I love and care for and try and speak those into them. And I'm sure every person in this room can identify 
a place in which they want to apply this word. So do that this week. Don't let it fall empty on deaf ears, but apply it. Put it into practice. Make a note for yourself and don't let yourself forget it because that's how we will change the world with the message of the gospel. A group of believers committed to changing themselves first. And I think that's going to be amazing. Let's close out this time of studying God's word, worshiping him, lifting up his name. Let's close that in prayer, sealing this word so that we can carry it with us. Heavenly Father, thank you for communicating your word clearly. Thank you for this word Pastor Candace has delivered. Help us now to apply it, to go forward with it. Help us have some fun celebrating together, being family and enjoying your church. I thank you for this place we have to worship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.